Hey, so welcome again. Uh, so we, the Christmas fun is just beginning this morning. Uh, so we're going to play a little game, uh, a little what do you know about Christmas this morning. And so uh, here I'm going to show you some pictures of some Christmas characters and then see if you know who they are, okay? So uh, here's the first one. Who's that? Yes, the Grinch. And uh, what is the Grinch from? What's the movie or show? How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Good, that's the easy one. All right, here's the next one. Who is this? Cousin Eddie, yes. And Cousin Eddie is from what movie? Christmas Vacation. Okay, they may get a little bit harder, but you guys are a smart crowd. All right, here's the next one. Buzz, yes. That is Buzz from what movie? Home Alone. Good job. All right. Uh, and we're going a little black and white. Nope. Mr. Potter. Yes. So Mr. Potter is from what movie? It's a Wonderful Life. Good. All right. And then I'm going to give you uh, one more. This is the hardest, I think. Who is this? What movie is it from? That's easier. Christmas. Anybody know what his name is? Scott Farkas. Well done. Well done. All right, that's the end of the fun this morning. <laughs> so uh, I show you these, these pictures um, because it, these are, as I kind of thought about Christmas movies, these are what I would call the hard-to-love people in the Christmas movies. And, and Christmas is, while, and I, is filled with like a lot of fun and stuff like that, Christmas is also, if we're honest with ourselves, is sometimes filled with difficult, hard-to-love people, right? You're going to go to a Christmas party, and it could be with family, or it could be an office party, and you're like, there's that guy, there's that girl, there's Mr. Bailey, there's Scrooge, there's, you know, and we have those people in our lives, and our families sometimes have those people, like you have Christmas, you know, around the, you know, with the extended family, everybody comes in, and it's like, ooh, here comes our version of Cousin Eddie, right? And, and every Every family has a Cousin Eddie type of person. Every family has a Grinch or a Scott for Every family has that in it, every extended family. And if your family doesn't have that type of person in your family, it's probably you. Okay, just, to, just so you know there. The theme of our Christmas series this year is this idea that Jesus didn't just come to be born as a baby in Bethlehem, but Jesus came for a greater purpose and greater purposes in his life. And so what we're doing is we're looking at what are some of those greater purposes in his life. And the purpose that we're going to look at this morning is that Jesus was born to love. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, that song that just spoke to me, the fun and love and, and humor of a baby dedication um, and being generous at Christmas, Lord, it is, it is wonderful. And I pray that as we look into your word today, <clears throat> that you would continue to speak to us, continue to fill our hearts with the things that you are about. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus said this. This is in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9. Jesus said this, he said, As the Father has loved me, <clears throat> so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life 
for his friends. <clears throat> Jesus' life was marked by love. His life was marked by love. There's a woman that came up to him who touched his cloak, and she was healed of her bleeding. And Jesus stops where he's going, and he listens to this woman's story and how she spent all of her money on doctors and people that couldn't fix her, and then Jesus heals her, and he sits down, and he takes the time to hear her story. There's a time there was a man who'd been by a pool for 38 years, trying to get well. Every time the pool rippled, he thought, if I can get in before anybody else, then I can be healed. And Jesus came along, and he met this man. He said, do you want to get well? He said, I want to get well. And Jesus healed the man. There's a number of times where children would come and they'd want to be around Jesus. And the adult would say, no, 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 no. This is kind of an adult-only thing. Stay away. And Jesus said, no, no, bring the little kids to me. Bring the children to me because I love them. There was a time when a woman who was caught in the act of adultery was brought before Jesus and brought before a whole bunch of people. And they said, let's stone her. Let's stone her. Let's kill her with stones. But we all throw stones at her. And Jesus says, you know what? Whoever has never sinned, you go ahead and throw the first stone. And they walked away. And Jesus was left there with the woman, just he and the woman. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Leave your life of sin. And in both of those statements, it was a statement of love. I don't condemn you, a statement of love. Leave your life of sin, a statement of love. Jesus loved all kinds of people. He loved the easy to love people. I would imagine that just with he and his disciples, just as they walked together and laughed together and lived together, that there was such joy in that and such ease of friendship. But Jesus, as he lived his life, he loved the outcast and the unloved, the despised and the discarded. He loved the Grinches and the Harry Potters and the Scud Far Scut Farkases of his day. That's who Jesus was. And so then Jesus says to us, love one another as I have loved you. I was listening to a sermon on a kind of a similar type of topic this week, and the, the person who gave the sermon said this. He asked this question. He says, what does love require? What does love require? If I'm going to love other people like Jesus loves me, what does love require? What does that look like? And what that means in part is that loving other people is not optional. Even the difficult people in our lives, even the hard-to-love people in our lives, love is not optional towards those people. When we ask the question, what does love require? So Jesus commanded, love one another. And then Paul picks up this theme in 1 Corinthians. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you brought your Bible with you, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, or if you have it on your phone, you can find it on, your, on a Bible app on there. But we're going to look at this, and Paul basically expands on what Jesus said. And we're going to kind of ask the same question, what does love require? And Paul answers that question for us, what does love require when it comes to certain situations? And what does love require when it comes to certain types of people and people who are easy to love and hard to love? 
1 Corinthians 13 uh, is sometimes known as the love chapter because it's read at weddings frequently. Uh, and just out of curiosity, how many of you if, who are married, how many of you had 1 Corinthians 13 who was read or talked about at your wedding? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you uh, it was not read or read? Okay. <laughs> and how many of you have no idea? Okay, that's the majority of our hands. <laughs> Stacy, was that at our wedding? No idea. There we go. I'm right there with you. So it begins like this, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So uh, I went to school in Connecticut, a school called Connecticut College, and uh, we had a bunch of different sports. I played tennis, but the only sport that people came and watched was hockey, right? Nobody else really cared about any other sports. Hockey was a blast. And so there's one sport that everybody watched, and there was only one cheer that people did at hockey games. It went like this. You suck. Right? Here we go. You said you suck in church. You can't do that. <laughs> so Paul says, then when we do things but don't have love, it's like an obnoxious cowbell, a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. It's that type of thing that we can do all these other things. We can use our gifts. And he's going to talk about gifts in these next few verses. But if we don't love, it's just like somebody banging on a cowbell. And that was obnoxious. And some of you were covering your ears, and some of you were like, this is obnoxious, right? And what's interesting, so this is um, 1 Corinthians 13 follows 1 Corinthians 12, duh, right? Um, but about three weeks ago, Keith Hoover talked about 1 Corinthians 12. And if you remember the subject of his uh, message or the content of, of chapter 12, it went through a bunch of different spiritual gifts. And at the beginning of chapter 13, Paul is hearkening back to these spiritual gifts. So he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or tongues of angels, but have not love. So he's pointing back to a spiritual gift. And what he's saying is, hey, if you have this spiritual gift and you practice it so eloquently, as though the tongues of men, the tongues of angels, beautiful speech, but you don't have love, then it's like a clanging cowbell. It's like a clanging cymbal. Then he continues on in verse 2. It says, if I have prophetic powers, so that's the gift of prophecy. We talk about that's not seeing the future, but it's speaking the truth to people. And understand all mysteries and knowledge. That's the gift of wisdom, the gift of discernment. And if I have all faith, that's the gift of faith, to believe God for extraordinary things. If I have all that so as to, to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I'm able to do all these amazing things, to use the gifts that God has given me, but I don't love people well, then it's all for naught. It's worthless. It's worth nothing. Then he gives another couple examples. He says, verse 3, <clears throat> he says, If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So if I have the gift of generosity, that's a spiritual gift that's been, if I give away all that I have, not just 10% that God asked for, but I give away 20%, 30%, 100%, if I give all of that away, but I don't love people, 
It's for nothing. If I give my body up, so if, I, if I'm a martyr, if I give my life away for the gospel and I die for my faith, but I don't love, then I gain nothing. It's for nothing. Paul is very harshly rebuking the Corinthians here. Because they had this mindset, this attitude of like, well, if we use our spiritual gifts, if we use these things, if we do these things and help in those kinds of ways, by saying, you can do all that. You can do great things like that. But if you don't love people, then it's worthless. It's useless. And the same is true in our context. If I, I can be the greatest communicator that Charleston has ever seen, I can give amazing sermons where you laugh and you cry and you go home and you learn something and you remember it. I can do all of that. But if I don't love, I'm like a clanging gong. It's, it's not worth anything. The people on the worship team up here, like they can play amazing music and sing melodies and harmonies and riffs and on beat and all of that stuff. But if they don't love, then it's not worth anything. You can give a ton of money to Riverage Church and a ton of money to other places, but if you don't love, it's not worth anything. So I'm going to give you four things to love like Jesus. The first is this. Remember there is no substitute for love. Because I think what we do in our minds is we say, well, I'm really good at this, so I don't really need to love well. I'm a really good communicator. I'm really good at making coffee. I'm really good at whatever it is. I'm really good at my job. I'm really good at providing for my family. I'm really, whatever it is that you're good at, whatever skill you have, whatever gift you have, using it inside the church or outside the church, sometimes we can say, well, I'm good at this, so I don't really need to love well. Then he continues on, verse 4. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, we're going to look at those four verses, and we're going to break them apart and look at the different pieces of it. But I want to start by taking these pieces uh, about love, this description of love, and putting them together and making a point. And we look at this, and all of those are actions that we take. None of those are feelings. Now, if you've ever, if you did premarital counseling or you read a book on marriage, you heard a sermon on marriage or a podcast, most good marriage books will talk about the fact that love is not a feeling, but love is an action. Andy Stanley, who's a pastor I love to listen to, he has one of the most memorable pauses in a sermon I've ever heard. He says, the key to a good marriage is to make love a verb, right? I find that funny. Nobody laughs, but I think that's very funny. Um, so to love like Jesus, remember, love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. When you think about being around people at Christmas, or really any time, but if you think about people, being around people at Christmas, and the cousin Eddie that's going to come to the Christmas party that you have to go to, maybe it's a, 
uh, office party, or maybe you're dragged with a spouse to an office party, or maybe it's a family party. But there are going to be Cousin Eddie's, and, and it's the guy who, or the girl who just talks about themselves all the time, all the time, all the time. The person has no self-awareness. The person who says inappropriate things, the person who dresses inappropriately. Like, you know, we know there's those types of people. And for me, this verse is so helpful, understanding that love is not a feeling, but love is an action. Because when you're around that person, whoever's sort of coming to your mind, you're not going to have a natural affinity, heart love for that person, right? You know, oh man, I love seeing Cousin Eddie. I love seeing Mr. Potter. Like he's, you don't have that feeling in your heart, but that doesn't mean you can't love them. Because love is about an action. It's how you treat them. It's how you interact with that person. And so as we go and with the difficult people that are in our lives, the difficult to love people, we can still love them because it's the action, not the feelings that we have. The third way uh, to love like Jesus is going to come from these same four verses. And so in these four verses, Paul gives 16 characteristics of love. And I want to take a few minutes and talk through those and put them in a couple of different categories. Uh, There's a verse that I love from the book of James. Uh, In the book of James, uh, I won't read it to you, but but James talks about it. He compares the Word of God to a mirror. He says, we look into the Word of God as we look into a mirror. We look into a mirror and we ask ourselves, how do I look? How do I measure what's going on in my life? Do I need to fix anything? And then we do the same thing. We look into God's Word and we ask questions about, does my life line up with how Jesus lived? Does my life line up with what God's Word says about how to live life? And so here's the third point, is to love like Jesus, remember to look in the mirror. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five questions. And these are all look-in-the-mirror types of questions so that you can figure out, am I loving like Jesus? Am I doing the things that Paul says in these verses? And I'm going to take them from uh, a variety of of, uh, descriptions in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. So verse 4, it says, love is patient and kind. So here's the question that we ask is, am I harsh? Am I harsh? <coughs> Excuse me. In the way that you speak to people, in the way that we speak to people, am I harsh? In my life, there was probably about a 10-year stretch from when I was 18 to about when I was 26 or 27, 28 or so, in that stretch, that I didn't speak harshly really pretty much at all. And then there was another about 10 or 12-year phase Uh, where I did, or 15 years, where I spoke harshly. Uh, And then that phase ended, and then there was about two or three years uh, where I didn't speak harshly. And then about three years ago, I started to speak harshly again. And you go, well, that's kind of an up and down kind of thing in your life, Matt. Up, harsh, not harsh. And there's one explanation for that. Kids. (laughs) Before I had kids, I didn't speak harshly at all. And then they got to a certain age, and I'm like, rah, 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 right? And then they got to an age where I didn't, you know, they were just, they kind of grew up and so forth, and I didn't, wasn't harsh. Uh, and then we got foster kids in the family, and that, rah, 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 rah. And, I, and I realized that, that for me, that's where I lack patience, and so that's where I end up being 
harsh. Love is patient. Love is kind. But here's the great thing, right? When we ask, what does love require? Is that love with patience, love with kindness, it's not a feeling, it's an action. So in other words, I can be impatient, but that doesn't mean I need to be harsh. I can feel impatient, but that doesn't mean I need to take it out on the kids. Even though, you know, it's like, go to bed, go to bed four or five times, just go to bed, stop, you know, that kind of thing. But it's like, I have a choice about how my language comes out. Am I harsh or am I gentle? Also in verse 4, it says, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. At the core of these words is comparison. Do I compare? That's the next kind of look in the mirror verse. Do I compare? When we envy, we're comparing and somebody else is coming out ahead of us. When we boast, we're comparing ourselves and we come out ahead of somebody else. When we're arrogant, we are comparing ourselves. We're not saying it, but we're thinking that we're better than somebody else because we believe that we're ahead of somebody else. And so we ask this question, do I compare? And when we fall into the comparison trap, it never leaves us with greater love for somebody else. We always end up either prideful or envious. So we ask ourselves that question. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, same verse. It says, love does not insist on its own. Love does not insist on its own way. Here's the third question is, am I self-centered? Am I self-centered? And I know that, you know, I'm given a bunch of examples and numbers. I'm not supposed to have a favorite, um, but I really think that this is my favorite because I think this one and the one that follows it are the most important when it comes, most important when it comes to truly loving other people. Because we're asking this question is, what does love require? And love requires that I think about myself less and what I want less. Love requires that I have a mindset that's towards other people, to die to myself. And when we talk about dying to ourselves and loving other people and not being self-centered, it's the kind of thing where like, we need to think about that every single day. But I think it's more than that. Like, I need to think about that every single hour. I need to think about that every single minute. I need to think about that in every single relationship and every single situation is to ask that question. Am I being self-centered with my actions, with my words, with my thoughts? Then it goes on in verse 5 and 6. It says, love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Some of you probably have a translation that's a little bit different. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. And I like that. That's for me very memorable. Love keeps no records of wrongs. Because what happens when we keep a record of wrong, we become resentful. That's why this puts it in this translation that we are resentful. So here's the fourth mirror question. Is am I quick to forgive? Now, if I asked you, just kind of off the cuff, are you quick to forgive? Most of us would say, yes, I am. Like our, our quick, our short answer would be, yes, I am. I'm quick to forgive. But I think we probably have to qualify that. 
and we'd say, are you quick to forgive? Well, I'm quick to forgive when somebody asks for forgiveness, right? If somebody comes to me and they're genuinely sorry for whatever they did and they ask for my forgiveness, I'm like, yeah, I forgive you and we move on. But I think the more difficult question is, are you quick to forgive when somebody hasn't asked you to forgive them? So when you have been wronged by somebody, when you've been hurt by somebody, are you willing to forgive them quickly even though they don't come to you? Jesus gave an amazing example of this. So Jesus, at the end of his life, was nailed to a cross by soldiers. They nailed his hands and his feet to a cross, and then they stood the cross up, and it dropped in a hole, and it dislocated his arms. And he was left there to die. And one of the very first things that Jesus said while hanging on the cross is he looked up to his father, and he said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. He said, Father, forgive them. So first of all, he forgave them. And they didn't ask for it. They didn't say, sorry, Jesus, sorry, did that hurt too much, sorry. They didn't do that. They were not asking for forgiveness, but he forgave them, and he did it quickly. It was one of the very first things that he said on the cross. And so we follow that example as we love like Jesus, and we forgive quickly. And you know, it's interesting, and I said that number three and four are kind of my favorites, um, because if you, if you don't forgive somebody, it's really hard to do any of these other love things, right? If you harbor resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness towards somebody else in your life, to do these other things and to act in love is nearly impossible, and then verse 7, it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So the final mirror question is this. Am I committed for the long haul? Am I committed for the long haul? When people frustrate us, right, and it could be by what they say or what they do, by what they do, by what they don't do. When people frustrate us, in the moment, we are bothered by that. But if we understand what Paul is saying here about love, is that love endures, love has patience, love hopes all things. It's saying it's more than just in the moment. Saying, I love this person for what God can transform them into. For how God can change this person. And if we have a longer view of people and their difficulties with us and our hardships with them and all that, because if we have a longer view of a love that perseveres, a love that endures all things, it's much easier to love them the moment because we realize that God is using us in the process to transform, to develop God, what that person wants God to be. A lot of you all know J.T. Doro, um, the other pastor here, and I tell you, um, I don't know of a person outside of Jesus who lives this part of love better than anyone else. Like if you know Jay, he is just the most faithful friend and sticks with people through thick and thin. And I know that at River Ridge Church, like I'm sort of the mouth of River Ridge because I get to speak the most up here. I may be the mouth of River Ridge, 
But Jay, in the way that he loves people, he is the heart of River Ridge. Um, and if you don't know him, get to know him because he just cares deeply for people over the long haul. I want to give you one more uh, remember and go back to John 15. It says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he lay down his life for his friends. To love like Jesus, remember Jesus' love for me. Remember Jesus' love for me. The greatest love that encapsulates what Jesus did happened 2,000 years ago. He was born in a manger. He was born in a stable, came to earth, born in a stable, laid in a manger, and then lived and then gave his life for us. It says that Jesus laid down his life for his friends. And when we remember that example, that speaks to us, that Jesus Christ died for me. He laid his life down for me, so I'm going to lay my life down in love for other people. It says that we are his friends. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, to do that. If you say, yeah, I've been to church, or I've done things, or maybe I haven't been to church but to ask yourself the question, do I have a relationship with Jesus? Have I placed my faith in him for forgiveness of sins? Would you say that Jesus is my friend and you have that relationship? If you've never made that decision, I encourage you to make that this morning. And it's a simple prayer that may go something like this. I know that I have sinned. I believe that you, Jesus, died for my sins and rose from the dead. And I place my faith in you. I desire your friendship in my life. And just pray that in your own words. And if you pray that prayer this morning, I would love to know just to help you get started in that journey with God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning and just your presence with us. What a blessing to be here today. And uh, God, I pray that you would help us to love well. We all have people in our lives that are just difficult to love for whatever reason. Help us to love those people as we follow your example, as we look in the mirror, as we ask the question, what does love require? How can I love this person well? Would you help us to do that? Would you see us through and following through and loving people well? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.